Well, hello, everyone. For those of you who don't know, I'm usually 6'4". Today is, it's been, a, it's been a rough like week and a half. Uh, last Thursday, like not the Thursday that happened, the Thursday before that, I started getting sick. I don't really know what it was. It might have been a man cold. It might have been COVID. I didn't test as COVID, but I, I don't know. And like after Halloween, we went, I went with my boys for Halloween anyway. And um, I just had a couple of water bottles in my backpack. It just, that's it. Not a lot. But I guess I was in such a weakened state that like it wrecked my neck. And the next morning I could turn my head about this much because it's just in a weakened state. And then yesterday, I don't even know what I was doing. I just like went downstairs and picked up laundry detergent or something and pop goes my back. So it's been, it's been rough from a physical perspective, but like regardless of what the devil is trying to do to me physically, he can't touch me mentally. I'm just as happy and go lucky and all that kind of stuff as I typically am because I'm not going to let my situation determine my mood. I'm going to let my mood determine my situation. Uh, some people have said, and pardon me if it's cliche, but I'm not going to tell my God how big my problems are. I'm going to tell my problems how big my God is. And so I'm deciding to live that way. And so far, it's working good. I might be in pain, but I'm still happy. I still got a smile on my face. And to me, that's a win. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you are here with us and that you love us. God, thank you that we don't have to go at problems or trials or difficult times on our own, but, but you're with us. You go with us in those times. God, I pray for everyone in here. I pray for us to be able to remember, remember when you met us in those hard times. God, that we can be strengthened and fortified in our faith. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So what I'm about to share is a true story. So there's this, there was this young boy named Nsima. He was from Nigeria. And when he was very, they, their family moved to America. When they were very young, the, the dad abandoned them, and he moved, he moved back to Africa. Now, we know that this can cause life to go in one of two directions. It can cause life to go into a potentially very negative direction, or sometimes it can turn out all right. Now, Nsima's mother was a very wise woman. And what she decided to do was she was going to look up stories. She was going to investigate different stories of people who were in a similar situation but had incredible success. And so she would do this. She would stare, share stories like Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton grew up without a dad. He had hardships in his life, but he was still able to become a president. She would find stories of people who overcame poverty, who overcame many hurdles. 
and she would inspire her, stunt, her son with these stories. So we have to wonder, we wonder why, right? It's, it's, very, it's very possible for someone like that to end up going into a life of crime. It's very possible for someone like that to let their story spiral out of control. And when bad things happen to him, he thinks, well, of course. Of course bad things are going to happen to me. I'm destined for failure. Stuff just happens to slide downhill toward me. And you begin to have this narrative that life's not fair. That life's just not fair to him. But instead, he was able to look at things when they happened in life through a lens of victory. And he was able to overcome obstacle and obstacle and obstacle. Present day, Ensema is, I wish I could show you a picture. He's about six feet tall, and he's about 250, 260 pounds, pretty much pure muscle. He's on one of the largest podcasts in the fitness space, the Mark Bell Power Project, and he spends his life helping people, helping people overcome problems, believing in themselves, uh, overcoming addiction to pornography. This is like what he's pouring his life into. You have this boy that could have went down this path of negativity, but he had a mother with the wisdom to change the story, to give him a new story, to give him a hope. I think his mother knows what we here at Auburn have come to realize too, that stories are powerful. And when we can master our story, amazing things can await us. We're in a series on misfits. And the power, the negative power of being a misfit can be an exclusion. If we allow it, being a misfit can change our self-narrative. It can change the way that we speak to ourselves and believe about ourselves, and it can lead us down this negative road. It can lead us to a road filled with fear and filled with apathy. Or we can share stories. Because there's power in a story. And Brent shared the first week about Moses. We've also talked about Gideon. Two men whose self-image was not one of power and strength. It was not a story where they were eager and believing that God was going to work in their lives and through their lives. Very much like either any of us. We may think, how is it possible that God could use me? That God could meet me where I'm at and do something incredible through me? When we read the Bible, we see that it is filled with those stories of God meeting unlikely men and women who chose obedience to what God was calling them to over fear of who they of their own perceived inadequacies. Choosing obedience over fear of their own perceived inadequacies. Our stories are very important. And you all have had this happen. You're, you're going through life. 
everything seems normal, everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, an opportunity comes. And I use the term opportunity loosely. Everything can either be an opportunity or a challenge. Any event that comes that is unforeseen has the potential to be an opportunity for us to move into something better, and it also holds the potential to bring destruction. It also holds the potential to be detrimental to whatever is coming our way. But we're going to use the term opportunity because I'm an optimist and I like that term. So an opportunity comes our way. And with it, it comes impossibility. Because we can't foresee a way through this. We can't foresee a way out of this situation. Then what happens? Inevitably, we do what the Israelites did time and time again when things go bleak, eh? We pray. We, we cry out to God. Then what happens? God will do something, doesn't he? Time and time again, when we look in the rearview mirror, we see that God pulled us through something. That God showed up in some way and helped us to overcome the situation that we thought was bleak, that we thought didn't have a good outcome, time and time again. Um, I, can, I can give examples probably all day, but the one I'll choose to use is last year, July, we moved and everything was going normal. Everything seemed fine. And then all of a sudden, we, we realized that the water smelled really bad. So we're like, okay, no problem. It's probably only a couple thousand dollars for, uh, to get our water looked at. So we budgeted roughly a couple thousand dollars. And then we got them to come to our house, these water experts. Two of them, actually, because we didn't want to believe the first one. <laughs> And it was going to cost roughly five times what we had anticipated it was going to cost. We didn't budget for that. We weren't ready for that. It, it, it took us by surprise, and honestly, it deflated us a fair bit. Something beautiful happened the next day. Chantel was out grocery shopping, and this random man came up to her and gave her an envelope. <laughs> he said, God sees you and he knows your need. Okay, cool. In that envelope was a couple hundred dollars. It, sure, just a splash in the bucket compared to what we had to pay. But it changed our outlook, didn't it? It changed our perspective, it changed the way that we addressed the problem. We were no longer going to be looking at this, this problem, this opportunity, as, I, I just, we need God to show up. I hope God shows up. What if he doesn't show up? What if we're not enough? What if we can't handle it? And all of these fears and allowing this stuff to spiral. Instead, and this is huge, we went at it and we addressed it from a perspective of victory, that God already had the victory for us, that we didn't have to live for victory, that we could live from victory. Now, 
our water is delicious. I don't know if I would have paid for it what I paid for it, but I bring it from home because it's so good. <laughs> you see, in any one of this, any, any time an opportunity comes our way, effectively we have two ways that we can look at it. We have two lenses that we can wear. One of them is faith, and the other is fear. When we wear the lens of faith, we are resting in his goodness. We can rest in the goodness of God. That does not mean we don't try. Effort is still required. Planning is still required. Intelligence and preparation, prayer, all these things are still required. But it's the attitude. Faith is, in this context, faith is the attitude. <coughs> it's the attitude in which we address the issue. Is it one of resting confidently in God's goodness? So we can wear the lens of faith or we can wear the lens of fear. Now, fear has many different manifestations. Fear can turn to anger very quickly. Fear can turn to sarcasm. Fear can look like a lack. Um, I don't have enough. I'm not enough. Fear has many different manifestations, but if we were to trace it back to the root, the root is fear. So what do we choose and how do we choose? I love stories. Stories really help us to illustrate all this. So we're going to look in the Bible. We're going to be turning to Numbers 13. And we're going to be looking at the story of Caleb. Interestingly enough, we named our son Caleb. And I wasn't really reading the Bible at the time. And when we named him Caleb, my mom told us the story of Caleb really briefly. And I didn't know it. So this is... We, we've come a long way in this regard. So as we're trying to find numbers... We will, uh, I'll give you a little bit of a history of what's been happening. So God used Moses to bring them out of Egypt and into the wilderness. They went, there's this great story with the Red Sea. They are being led every day by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. They are having their food provided for them every morning just showing up magically on the ground. Not magically, miraculously on the ground. It's a time when God has been pro um, providing for them and protecting them that would be absolutely unprecedented. So, you would think that everyone's faith would just be rock solid. So they are 
roughly, they're at least two years into being in the wilderness. In Numbers 1, it says that it's been roughly two years. Uh, however, in Numbers eleven twenty-eight, it mentions that Joshua had been Moses' apprentice since he was a youth. So let's say that was 18, and now let's put Joshua at 25. This is arbitrary, but we'll just give it roughly a bit of a timeline. They've been in the wilderness, we'll say seven, eight years, and now they're about to go explore the promised land. Everyone thinks that it took 40 years in the wilderness, and it did, but it didn't have to. So we're, we're going to read of when they were uh, told to go in. So 13, Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which, which I am giving to the Israelites. Read that again. Which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So, the Lord, so at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran, all of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, son of Zakur. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Ilgal, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. And then there were some other people. Verse 16 these are the names of the men Moses sent to explore. When I said Hoshea, son of Nun, you may have thought to yourself, hmm, that sounds familiar. Yeah, Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. So from here, Moses gives them instructions. Check the cities out. Are they high-walled? Are the people in there strong or weak? How's the soil? He gave them all these questions and he encouraged them to go. And they came back with a cluster of grapes, apparently so large that they needed to have it strung across a pole and have two of them carry a cluster of grapes. Verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly, and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. What they're saying is that they are choosing fear. We, we don't quite understand the extent of which, but it's very significant. Of verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. Caleb is a misfit here. He's really showing his misfit nature, even within a church, because Everyone is going a certain direction. People have a tendency to go in the path of least resistance. That's the direction that the, the Israelites were trying to go. That's the direction they were trying to go. 
And Caleb here is a misfit in an empowering way because he is deciding to go against the grain. He's deciding to go against the culture. And he is choosing to believe in God. He's choosing to believe what, that God meant what he said. It, it, it goes on. They, um, they protested. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the, uh, among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. That's not true. That is seen through a lens of fear. All the people we saw, all the people we saw were of great size. We saw Nephilim there. Uh, they were the descendants of Anak from the Nephilim. It's from the story of Moses. Sorry, not Moses, Noah. Uh, we, so this, this line gets me every time. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Literally what that means is that we became grasshoppers to them, and we also became grasshoppers. So we became grasshoppers like in our own eyes to them, and we also became grasshoppers to them. Did they even talk to them? How did they know that they became like grasshoppers to the other people? They're probably too afraid to talk to them. They probably didn't speak the same language. How is it that they became like grasshoppers to them? It was this lens of fear. One thing we know about fear is that it can diminish your potential. One thing we see about the Israelites here is that the way, if, the way to be sure to fail is to not try. Fear will hold you back. Fear leads you to apathy. But Caleb told himself a different story. You can see... I'll read verses 1 to, five, one to 4 here. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taking this plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Again, they are in choosing fear. They've already lost. What did God say? God said, the land that I am giving you. God says, I am going to give you this land. In their mind, in their eyes, they've already lost. Moses and Aaron fall face down and plead before God. And then verse 6, Joshua, son of Nun, sorry, son of Jephunneh, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, and this is just a beautiful speech, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, 
He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Powerful speech. In this life, two things, probably more, but assuredly these two things are guarantees. One of them is we have trials. We have trials, troubles, tribulations, hard times. They are promised. As believers of God, we are promised that difficult times are coming. Another thing that is guaranteed is the goodness of God. God's goodness is going to happen. It's God is going to be good. Regardless of what happens, he is goodness. He has mercy, and his goodness comes whether or not we deserve it. How much did what the Israelites did affect the outcome? I mean, it did and it didn't, right? They had to go through the wilderness for 40 years instead of just being able to enter it immediately. But beyond that, they still went in. They still devoured everyone and destroyed everyone because God was with them. God's goodness was not changing. It it did get delayed, but God's goodness was guaranteed. Caleb was sure of God's goodness. Let's, Let's think about all the things that have been happening again. They were being led every day by either a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. Every day they were having their food needs met for them. Right before this story happened, like immediately before the story happens in the Bible, there's this amazing miracle of quail. They're all complaining about quail. I'm sorry, about not being able to eat meat. So God's like, okay, well, I'm going to make, I'm going to give you so much meat, you're going to be puking it out. And he does. Everywhere from like, everywhere within a day's walk, six feet down, is just swarming with quail. Each Israelite who gathers, gathers about a, I think it's a ton and a half of quail. You may wonder how many quail that is. I wondered how many quail that is. They estimate it's about a billion. One billion quail they collected. Joshua, rather, Caleb, mastered his story with this. He decided that he was going to be grateful, he was going to be thankful, but not only that, he was going to let God's goodness and God's provision, God's protection, he was going to let that change his perception. He viewed things differently than the rest of the Israelites. This is clear. He viewed things differently. And I believe it's because of the story that he told himself. He told stories that allowed him to change his perception of who God is, therefore who he is. The rest of the Israelites, they see these miracles happen, but they didn't let it permeate. They didn't let it sink deep into their heart. They didn't let it change the way that they actually think and perceive events happening. So we have trials, which are guaranteed. We have God's goodness, which we can't earn. 
where's our responsibility? Our responsibility is this middle ground. When God does something amazing and miraculous in your life, your responsibility is to change your perspective. Your faith is supposed to level up. That's the aim of this. We're not supposed to deal with yesterday's problems the way we dealt with them yesterday because we've experienced God moving since then. That has to change you. That has to change you from the inside out. That has to change the way that you view these opportunities coming in. They changed Caleb. I want to move really quickly into Joshua 14. And so where we're at in the story now is they've waited the 40 years. They had the story with Rahab that we talked about last week. They've gone through and they've conquered a lot in the promised land. And now in verse 6, we have the allotment for Caleb. Now, the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, pardon me, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Canish Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Canish Barnea to explore the land. I love this, what he says. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. Hmm. But my fellow Israelites who went with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Don't you want to be able to say that? Don't you want that to be your story? When you share your story with your kids or grandkids someday, don't you want to be able to say, I followed my convictions. As I felt like the Lord was saying, that's what I did, and I served the Lord wholeheartedly. I did not choose fear. I chose faith. And because of that, the Lord conquered through me. It's not necessarily going to be a military conquest like it was with Caleb. But what about the little, the, the struggles of faith that we face on a daily basis? What about the times when we're encouraged to fear uh, about a bill, about a sickness, about wh whatever it might be? What does it look like if we choose faith in those times? Now, my, my last point that I want to bring up about Caleb, which I, I think is absolutely amazing, is that I believe he used stories from the Bible, both in a good way and in a learning way. So one of the stories he would have been familiar with was Abraham and Sarah. Or at this point, it's Abram and Sarai. Now, when the visitors came, and they mentioned that Sarai was going to give birth, do you remember what she did? She laughed. She responded with such incredulity that she laughed. She just literally could not believe that that was going to happen. Why? She's too old. She thought she was too old for God to do a miracle in her life. 
So I think Caleb looks at that story and he's very intentional about this. And the reason why I think this is because of the setting. Do you know where this is happening? I've, I've mentioned it. Canis Barnea. Or sorry, this is at Kiriath Arba. Why is that significant? Do you guys know where the final resting place of Sarah was? It was Kiriath Arba. So in the place where she died, he redeemed this view of being too old. Too old for God to use you. Verse 10. Uh, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since that time, he has said to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then. Ah, oh, that's cool. You guys haven't met my grandpa yet, but someday you will. He's, he's 84 years old presently, and if someone were to tell me that my grandpa went into a town of giants and took them all on, I wouldn't be surprised. My grandpa is an ox of a man for being 85 years old. You give him a handshake when you see him, and you'll know what I'm talking about. But being the same at 85 as you were at 40 is a very difficult task. Is it even true? To Caleb, it's true. Caleb believes that God can use him just as much at 85 as he could at 40. And so he goes, and, and he goes and takes on this city full of giants. And the, the last, one of the last things he says is, I will drive them out just, uh, just as God said and just as I did before. Full faith that God is going to do what he said he could do. I want to live with that kind of faith. Don't you? I want to live unafraid. I want to live with the confidence that God can do what he said he was going to do. I want to live certain that hard times are going to come, but God's goodness stands. The, the point of all that I'm trying to get across, one of the main points of it all is, when God does a miracle in our life, what is the real benefit of that miracle? Whether it's a provision, whether it's a, hearing, a healing miracle, what, what is the main benefit? It's amazing when we get to experience God doing something impossible in our lives, amen? But the real power comes from changing our perspective of God. When our perspective of God changes, we're able to go through circumstances differently. Six months or so ago, when I lost my job, I, I, I didn't spend a day being woe is me. I didn't spend a day thinking how much everything sucks and feeling sorry for myself and falling into fear. I had absolute faith that God was going to use this for my good and his glory. 
Again, my, my fear wouldn't have changed the result. God is still good. God is still good because God is good. Period, end of sentence. My faith changed the in-between. My faith changed my experience. God is good because he's good. Don't you want to live into that experience? I just want to really quickly look at Mark 6. And as Linda said, this came right after the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So the point of, we, we, we just learned this, the point of God doing a miracle is what? It's to change our perspective, right? So let's see how it changed the perspective of, of the disciples. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples go into a boat, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000, and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up to a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when he... But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because all, uh, they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed to the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. Now get this line here. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Two completely different things. Jesus feeds the 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And because of that, the disciples aren't to be afraid of a storm. It's completely a different thing, yet it's exactly the same thing. God, they were supposed to have learned a lesson from the loaves and fish about God's character, about the nature and the ways of God. Instead, they missed the proverbial boat. My friends, our responsibility is the in-between. It's using stories from the Bible It's using stories from our own lives to change the way that we perceive the now. When difficult times, when opportunities come your way, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond through the lens of fear? Maybe maybe being angry, maybe sarcasm, maybe anxiety, maybe who knows what. Or are we going to choose faith? Are we going to rest in his goodness, knowing that he is God, that he is good? One of my favorite lines from, actually definitely my favorite line, from the story of the quail. 
is they're doubting whether or not he can do it. God replies, is the Lord's arm too short? What's our view of God? Do we believe that his arm is too short to save us now? Or do we have the faith to rest in his goodness? Father God, we, we thank you that you are good. I'm reminded of the song that your goodness is coming after us. God, thank you for the love that you have for us. God, thank you that you have not left us as orphans, but that you have come for us. Lord, I pray for our faith. I pray that we may be strengthened in our faith. Then we may have confidence in your goodness. Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.